thank you guys and welcome back to our students who've been all weekend at Host Homes and at a, an event called Disciple Now. D-Now, I heard it was a great uh, weekend. I know you're all tired um, and I'm going to try to uh, be shorter than normal today. Somebody said, uh, do you know what it means when a Baptist preacher looks at his watch? Do you all know the answer? Nothing. Right, that's right. <laughs> but I will try to be fast, I promise, today. Um, word of thanks to those who went with me to the evangelism conference. Uh, nine of us went um, last Sunday and Monday, and uh, what a blessing that was to me, and it really, uh, really touched me. And students, I want you to know, as your whole weekend has been about surrender uh, and uh, how everybody has something they need to surrender. I hope you know that's true. I hope that you know there's nobody here today who's got it all figured out, who there is no business that you need to do with God, who there's nothing that you're holding on to that Jesus isn't saying, let it go and make it mine. But I went to the conference students um, on Sunday and Monday expecting a conference. You know, conferences can be boring sometimes. And I went there and... Um, by the time I left there, I had been at the altar, on my knees, in prayer, and covered in tears uh, with uh, the stuff in my life uh, that I knew, that the Lord showed me I needed to surrender. And so, um, I'm proud of y'all, and I want you to know what your speaker told you this weekend is true. You're not alone, and there is nobody who doesn't have something to surrender to God. We're going to be looking today uh, at a group of people who definitely had something to surrender to God. They did not do it, uh, but they uh, needed to. We'll be in the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 19. If you have your Bible, please do turn there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be on the screen. And then if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word. And so we have some at no cost to you on the table as you leave in the, in the back there. Uh, nice Bibles, really nice Bibles. And so we'd love for you to take one. If you have that need in your life, okay? No cost, and it's just a gift from our heart to yours. The New Testament book of Acts uh, happens uh, mostly after Jesus, the Son of God, has left his rightful throne in heaven and come and walked our dirt. We have a Savior who is no stranger to the darkness that we talked about, to the, to the, to the hurt and to the, the, the sin that he saw all around him in our world to the loss and the sorrow and the pain. And he came and he walked this dirt, and he uh, was among us. And then he was killed by those he created. He gave his life there on a cross uh, so that he could offer forgiveness from sin. And guess what he did then? He laid in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, for three days and rose again to life forevermore. And then walking with his disciples a moment longer, he ascended to be with the Father, where he sits today, and the Bible says he constantly makes intercession for us. That means the Lord Jesus is in the throne room of God, and he is constantly praying on our behalf. When we're weak, he goes before God on our behalf. And the book of Acts tells the story of what Jesus did through his Holy Spirit, a beginning in the New Testament church and onward until today. And so we come to a point where the name of Jesus was spreading everywhere. In fact, the Bible literally says everyone in the region of Asia had heard the name of Jesus. There was no one who had not heard this. And it was attractive to some people. 
the power of Jesus was spreading despite the most uh, intense bullying, the most uh, serious harassment, the deepest cuts of opposition. Still, the word of God through Jesus was spreading there in the New Testament church and among his disciples. Against all the pushback of resistance, it was spreading. Lives were being totally transformed, changed, even in dark and hard places. The darkness of depression was being removed. Anxiety was being taken away. Panic and guilt and hopelessness uh, were breathing their last breath because guess what? The Spirit of Christ was moving among the people who were the followers of Christ. People were being changed completely and forever. And there were those who took note of this. And they said, that looks kind of cool. And they looked around and they said, we would like some of that. We like the attention those folks are getting. I mean, we like what we're seeing there. And we, we want to we take that with us. Now, they didn't want Jesus, but they wanted what he had to offer to what they were doing. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. So chapter 19 of the book of Acts. Beginning in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles. That is to say, I mean, it was awesome. It's not the normal stuff that, that you might have seen. It, it, he was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, this follower of Jesus. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons, scraps of fabric that had touched Paul's skin, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. These are guys who practiced mysticism. And they would travel around and, and try to uh, do spiritual things and cast out demons. Uh, undertook These guys undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. How did they do it? Here's what they would say. Listen to this. I adjure, that means I sternly warn, I sternly warn you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They didn't know Jesus at all. In fact, they were Jewish people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But nonetheless, they wanted the power, they wanted the glory, and they began saying, I can't say that it's my Jesus, but I, I, I sternly warn you by this guy Jesus, whom this guy Paul proclaims seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva what an unfortunate name uh, a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this but the evil spirit answered them and so they're in this house we'll learn later they've, they've gone to this man who suffers from a, a legit uh, possession of, a, of an evil spirit of a demon if you will he's in there and these sons of a high priest that's big time. Seven of them go in there and they say, I sternly warn you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. You bet he knew Jesus. I mean, you bet he, I mean, he, they know about Jesus. That's a reminder to us. It's not just enough just to academically, intellectually, to assent to belief in, that there was a Jesus even the demons do that, the Bible says, and they shudder with fear, but they're not saved, they're not transformed. This demon said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. Even Paul, I, I get that. I, I, I remember Paul used to be one of us. 
He used to be on our side until the day that Jesus uh, captured him on that road to Damascus and shone into his life, and it all changed forever. Yeah, Paul, I, de- we, I definitely recognize Paul. And then he said four words. But who are you? There's no power as these guys were invoking the name of Jesus. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. I mean, can you imagine that moment? Seven sons of the high priest. I mean, these are privileged guys. And all of a sudden, they're leapt upon. He leaped upon them, mastered all of them, whatever that means. I wish we knew what was captured in that nugget of a word, mastered. I mean, what did he kick them? Did he bite them? Did he, did he poke out their eyes? I mean, what did he do? He mastered them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Apparently somewhere captured and mastered means he took off their clothes, right? (laughs) Demons, you know. And so uh, he leapt on them, mastered them, overpowered them. They ran out naked and wounded. Listen, there is danger in not having Jesus. There's a danger in not in being without Jesus. The danger is a devastating danger. And you might could say it is even more tragically dangerous to, not, to be close to Jesus, to be familiar with his church, sons of the high priest, to have seen his power. Look what Jesus, that's awesome what Jesus is doing. I'd like to have me a taste of that, a little of that, but I don't really want to know Jesus. What a tragedy. It's a tragedy in three ways. Life without Jesus offers no power. There is no power in a life without Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? These guys find themselves in a pretty rotten situation, don't they? My kids have introduced me to a new word. Uh, the word is stonks. Do y'all know the word stonks? Raise your hand if you know the word stonks. Who does know it and won't raise your hand? Okay, stonks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it means. I don't even think y'all know what it means. Uh, most of the time I think it's good, but sometimes it seems like it's bad. You might say, hey, something is stonks. That restaurant was stonks. Hey, that car was stonks, right? I, no, no explanations right now. <laughs> but, uh, and, and as I look at this story, I, I, that word comes to mind. Because there are times we'll, we, as a family, we'll experience something, and you guys will say, oh, that was not stonks, right? I have no clue what it means, but it seems like that means it was a bad thing. If you're a son of Sceva, and you're in this room, you're in a bad situation, maybe you would say, this ain't stonks, right? I mean, we're in bad shape here. Uh, we're, we're in a big mess right here in this moment. Why was there such a big mess? Why was it such a bad situation? Because Jesus that they're naming, guess what? He was never there, Jesus. He, was, he never belonged to them. He was never their Jesus. They have to say, they have to revert to saying the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. The Jesus my grandma proclaimed. Lord, here I am at death's door. Here I am needing power and victory for my life. Lord, I'm caught in a mess. I'm in a situation that's not stonks. I'm, I'm, it's bad, God. It's bad right now. 
I never thought it would be this dark. I never thought I'd suffer this much loss. I never thought the pain would last this long, that the heartache would go this deep, God. I need that Jesus of my grandma. I need that Jesus that my church talks about, that Trey sings about. We say, where's the power? And there's no power because he's never your Jesus. There is a danger in not having Jesus, a being without Jesus. Riverbend, in about 2002, I think, is a festival in my hometown of Chattanooga that we all worked at as police officers. And the climate in our town had been very bad and a lot of social friction and a lot of uprisings, and a lot of shootings and a lot of violence against officers and others. And at Riverbend, the days leading up to that, it had been really a, a, a tense situation. And as I was walking down the strip there at Riverbend uh, with a team of other guys um, just patrolling our zone there, we ran into someone in a police uniform in dark clothes that said sheriff on the front, and he had a, a big, thick leather belt you know, with the imprint on it, just like you would imagine, and, you know, some duty gear around, and a nice, crisp ball cap on that said police. He was walking around, and we said, who was that guy? Everybody said, we don't know. We don't know who that was. And so we thought, should we turn around? I mean, should we talk? So we did. We turned around, and we said, who are, who are you? He said, well, I'm from Knoxville. And I wanted to say, well, this is Chattanooga, you know. And uh, he said, I, you know, I, I am a, um, an officer up there. Not a police officer, but he's, he's some kind of security or, or um, some type of officer. And uh, we said, well, well, why are you wearing all this down here? He said, oh, I just thought I, you know, I, thought it would, I would. And, and uh, I said, well, where's your gun? I don't have a gun. You know, I, in my job, you know, they don't issue us guns. I'm not licensed for a gun. Uh, and, you know, where's, where's your tools, where's your radio to call for help if you need help, if you get in a mess? Well, I don't have a, a radio. It was totally fake. This was a guy who had some association with this profession or maybe some, uh, some ambitions, but he was dressed in a totally fake outfit. And among other things, we sat and we talked with him and said, do you know what would, re- do, you, do you know the climate in our town right now? Do you know what's liable? Do you know why all of us are here, so many of us tonight? Because of what's liable to happen. What are you going to do if you get in trouble and they see you and there's no radio, there's no backup? You got nobody to call for. You reach for the tools to make a defense of yourself and there's nothing there because you're not qualified. There is no power in impersonating a follower of Jesus Christ. But many people do it. They do it all the time. There may be people in this room today who are, who, who are doing that. You might not say so, but your spirit is, is telling you. It's telling, I've been pretending, you know. Yes, Matthew, I've been pretending. There are real reasons we need Jesus for ourselves. And you know this. If you've known hopelessness and fear, you need to be able to speak the name of Jesus that is your Jesus. If you've been abandoned or forsaken, or betrayed, you need to be able to call on a father who stands fast with you always and never fails. And he needs to be your Jesus, not their Jesus, not the churches or the hymn books Jesus. There's real reasons, real reasons we need Jesus. You felt the weight of sin in your life, other people's sin. It's cost you dearly. Your own sin 
that weighs on you like a burden of guilt. You don't even know what to begin to do with it. You need a Savior, and He needs to be your Savior. It's not good enough to call upon somebody else's Savior. It is too late to do that when you go to school and you're trying to fight to live a righteous life and to love Jesus with who you really are. It's too late if he's someone else's Jesus. It's too late in your households when you're hurting by the hand of other people and you're sorrowing for things that are not your fault. It's too late to need a helper, but he's not yours. There is no power. There is no power in being without Jesus. Stop taking Jesus uh, at arm's length when he means to take a seat in your heart. Do you believe me this morning that Jesus wants to be there in your heart? He wants to be your own. He has stopped at nothing to be yours. Stop holding him off. There's no power there among these seven sons of Sceva without Jesus, and there's no person there either. There's no person... When we're without Jesus. Look at verse 14. I love, I love what this demon says. I don't even know if it's right to love what a demon says. But I do. I, I love how this is put. He says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? There are times we need the power of Jesus. But friends, there are times we need the person of Jesus. We need somebody that we can open our mouth and call to. And he hears and he responds to our call. Everybody ought to have somebody like that. God has created each of you that we, you ought to, you deserve to, it is right for you to have someone that when you call out, when a cry of despair goes out from your mouth, that they can't wait to get to your side. This happened to me once. Uh, I was, uh, we were with the kids in uh, the mountains and there was, a, it was winter time and there was a big stream flowing and I remember Jackson, our oldest, he was littler at the time, but he said, he was on top of a rock, he said, Dad, I want to jump into this river. It was freezing cold. I mean, freezing, the rock was, what, 8, 12 feet high, whatever. And uh, like any good dad, I said, yes, sir, you go for it, you know. And he did. He jumped into that river. I mean, it took him a minute, but he jumped in that freezing cold river. And if you know, you've done that before, and your whole body just shuts down. I mean, you start shaking, and you can't, you can't breathe. And, and I remember, I mean, it, it may seem silly. It was just a moment. There was no real danger at that time. But I remember standing there, and my little boy came floating down. The current was moving him, and he was having to fight against it, but his arms wouldn't work. And the most he could struggle to, to, to get out was, Dad. Now listen, I know that's silly, but at that moment, my body didn't think it was silly. I mean, listen, everything in my peripheral vision fogged over, and there was a laser, a tunneling in on my boy going down that river. And hearing the, the, the panic in his voice, you know, that uh, all I wanted to do was get to him. My heart, I could feel it pounding in my chest to get the blood to the places it needed to go to, to render a, a rescue of, of sorts. Have you ever felt that feeling when the phone rang and it's your little girl? And she says, Dad, I need you to come pick me up. Mom and Dad, I don't know what to do. Everybody ought to have someone like that. 
But with Je- without Jesus, there's no person. Yeah, you're in a mess. You're in the house. The guy's got a demon or whatever else. You're in a relationship and you know it needs to end. You know it's abusive. You're in a pattern that you know you need to break. You're in, you're in a mess. And the best you can get out is Jesus. Don't you want him to be your Jesus? Don't you want to have him as your Savior? Don't merely accessorize your life with the one who so wants to love you as a father, a savior, and a friend. Can you believe that the Bible says this? It says, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. That ought to blow us away. The, the, the God of the ages, if we move toward him, he said, yes, yes, I'll move toward you. Make him your own. Don't accessorize your life with your grandma's bejeweled Jesus. He needs to be yours. Otherwise, there's no person. There's no person. There's no power. But there's no point as well. You look at this and you know what happened. We've read it already. Something tragic, tragically sad is here. It's funny in the way that it reads. I mean, it kind of reads kind of funny. But in the end, there was a guy who needed something. He needed something to change. These guys promised the hope of that. And here they came into his house. And guess what? After this whole episode is over, guess what? He's still got a spirit, doesn't he? And guess what? The sons of Sceva, they needed a reality check too. They needed to take this Paul's Jesus and, and he needed to become their Jesus. What a chance for that to happen. Wow, I mean, what an episode here that they could have surrendered and said, God, we've been trying to do it on our own. Take it. We want this Jesus. But none of that happens. The Bible would have told us if you read on here, the Bible goes on. It says, the word of God spread mightily and so many people came to him and they took their books and all the things that were keeping them from God, not just any book, but books that were leading them away from God and they burned them and the value of them was, I mean, a bunch of money. The Bible surely would have told us in the midst of all that, oh yeah, and the sons of Sceva also started following Jesus and were baptized. None of that happens here. So the need at the beginning, guess what? Is a need at the end. Something needed to change, but it didn't change. That's tragedy. There's no, without Jesus, there's no point. Nothing gets done. Nothing changes. We got a little dog back in September. Arthur. He's a furball, a real furball. Very furry. And um, you think he's fat, but he's not even fat. I need to be furry so you won't think I'm fat. But uh, <laughs> they, you think he's fat, but he, underneath there, he's all skinny. And we took him to the, uh, whatever, the haircutting place for dogs. And we got there, and they said it would be $35 for the first time. It's a pretty good price. And we left him. We came back and got him. And nothing had changed, right? He's still the biggest furball ever. I mean, 
You know, like, did y'all do anything? Like, well, with, with young ones, we only do just a little bit. I said, a very little bit. No, I didn't say that at all, but I wanted to. A, a very, like, there's no discernible difference here. We went home, and I got out the clippers, y'all. And uh, we gave Arthur a real haircut. There's a change in Arthur now, right, that you can see. You know something had happened, right? You need a change, don't you? I mean, don't there times you need a change? It's desperately sad sometimes if we walk into a situation with a, a spiritual condition and we walk out of it just like before. They walked in with a Jesus who was not their own and nothing changed because of it there was no power to accomplish anything let me be quite frank for just a moment my heart loves you students this morning and I very personally identify with what I'm about to say from my own childhood there are those of you who are in a in a in households where there is so much more brokenness than wholeness it just is and I'm not criticizing you I love you and I grieve for that. And I pray for you. You won't believe how many people have been desperately on their knees praying for you this weekend. On Wednesday night, the, the, the adults and I in the Bible study, we prayed for you. Some of you by name. They didn't even know your name before then. Now they know you're, we're praying for you. I say this not out of credit to embarrass you, but say I was the same way. I was in a household with completely brokenness. And no wholeness. And you've got the chance to either continue that. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a family. You're going to be in a church. Or you've got a chance for Jesus to change it. For you to redeem it. For you to have a story uh, beyond where you're at. But guess what? You know who does that? Jesus. The real Jesus, your Jesus. Now you can walk in here fat and furry with sin and with all kinds of stuff. But if you walk out of here and this Jesus is still just some other Jesus. That Jesus who those people talk about. That Jesus who Matthew says or whatever. Then guess what? There's really no point. God brought you to this church. All of you. You've been here, you've been around it, you've seen and tasted a flavor of God's people and of his presence. It's good. But have you said yes to Jesus to make it yours? Isn't that a big deal? Many of you have been here a long, long time. Maybe you need to make Jesus your Jesus today. To all of you, let me say, you are too dearly treasured to continue walking in an unchanged life. It should not be. If that's what you are about to do this very morning, if you're about to hear it and set it out and move on, listen, take another moment to think through that just one more time. I plead with you to let Jesus change you today to listen one last time to what God is saying to you and to say yes back to him and to Respond. The Bible says that, behold, now is the favorable time. When? Now. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. I was looking at one of your books, students, one of your little booklets from the conference, from the V-Now. And on the first page, one of the, the big, bold things that you had hand-scribbled in that book was, let me make sure I get it right. It said, God knows my name. I suppose that the guy who spoke to y'all must have said that. God knows my name. You bet he does. God knows your name this morning, and he desires to cleanse you, to establish you, and to walk with you in love and power. And he desires to walk with you in the reality that you will never again be alone. Wouldn't you do that today, students, adults? You've got the chance to. I'm under no delusion that everybody sitting here has made Jesus their Jesus. Wouldn't you do that this morning? The Bible makes it very simple. There were some men in the New Testament who heard about the power of Jesus. And unlike the sons of Sceva, they rushed to the first men of God they could find. And they said, sirs, they, they pleaded, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? The Lord has stopped at nothing to make himself known to you. The next part is yours, and it can make all the difference. You bow your heads with me. We're going to do something just a little different this morning. That's Erica, if she will, and Fletcher, if you will, to come stand up here at the front with me on the floor. It's been a powerful weekend for our students. We talk about in here sometimes the best way to move toward God, friends, is to move. To move with your feet. To bring your body to the altar. To surrender to who he is. So I'm going to ask the whole church a question today. If you're in here this morning, and you know for sure 100%, Yes, this Jesus is my Jesus. I remember the time, I remember the place, he changed me. It hasn't been perfect in my life since then, but I know 100% this Jesus is my Jesus. I'm never alone, I'm never forsaken. I have a father, he knows my name, and I am bound for eternity when this life is over. Would you raise your hand for me and let me see that hand? All right, I praise God for that. Thank you for that. If you would put your hand down, for me, and let me ask another question. And I'd like to ask every, everybody to bow their heads and every single eye to be shut in the whole room. Zero people, zero people looking around, except for me, Miss Erica, Mr. Fletcher. I want to ask you a question today. If you say, I have heard what you said today, and I am not sure that this Jesus is my Jesus, I'm not sure that he's always with me. I'm not sure that I have a father and a savior and a friend. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. And I am not sure that when this life is over, I'm bound for eternity with God. Would you raise your hand today? Okay. I thank you for your courage across the room. I want to pray for you, for one. And I want to pray with you. Before we do, let me ask one more time. You might say, you know, Matthew, don't forget me. Anybody else? Is that you? Yeah, I'm not sure. 
I know the name of Jesus. I know of him, but he's not my Jesus. Let me see your hand, would you? I thank you for your courage this morning. If you raised your hand for that second part, or if if you're a new believer, if students, maybe this weekend changed all of that for you, then I want to pray over you, and then I want to give you a chance to pray with me to this Jesus who has loved you enough to give his life on the cross for you, to save you and change you and stand with you forever, no matter what. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray, but while I pray, would you pray along with me? And if it were me, I would say something like this. If I wanted to make sure and make certain, I would say something like this. There's no magic formula to it, but I would say, Jesus, I believe in you. I thank you and I love you that you died for a sinner like me. And Lord, I want to surrender the wrong things that keep me from you. And Jesus, I want you to come into my life forever. I'm going to pray right now, and you have the chance to pray that with me. Lord, we do thank you. All of us, we thank you now that you gave your life for sinners like us. Not when we were desirable, not when we were valuable, not when we were good, but when we were were in an awful darkness. When we were messed up is when you came, when you reached in. You gave your life on the cross for us knowing we were sinners who wanted nothing to do with you. And nonetheless, you loved us so much. Thank you, thank you for that. Father, we all of us in here want to surrender the things in our lives that are wrong and that are keeping us from you. And we want to instead turn toward you, Jesus. We don't know all the answers. Our questions are not altogether uh, satisfied, but we know what is real. And we know what happened in our hearts. And so, Father, as best we can, in this simple weakness, we say yes, and we turn to you. And we do it in the strong and able name of Jesus. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you meant it. And for the first time this weekend, or for the first time this morning, the decision to have a Jesus who belongs personally to you, that took place in your heart. Would you raise your hand? Only I'm looking. Only Miss Erica and Mr. Fletcher are looking. Thank you. Thank you for that. Who else? Anybody else in the room today? Praise the Lord for that. And if you raised your hand this last moment, I want you to do me a favor. Open your eyes and look up here at me or one of your leaders, okay? I know we're ugly, but y'all look at us anyway. Let us know that you made that decision. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to leave your seats. Trey is here on the stage, and he's about to lead us in a, a closing song. I want you to leave your seat if you made that decision this morning. And you come and talk to one, you come grab one of us by the arm. Tell us what you've done. Let us pray with you and celebrate with you today, okay? As I pray, would you pray for these who have responded this morning? Lord, thank you for the word of God and for the spirit of Christ. Never failing and never stopping. 
your pursuit of us. It's unreasonable, God, that you've loved us this way. Thank you for saving us and claiming us as your own. Thank you for the power, the person, and the point of living that comes through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, I invite you to respond.